And let's turn again this morning to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, our, our focus this morning will be on verses 22 through 30. Uh, I'm going to read from um, verse 20 through verse 30 uh, this morning. We looked last week at verse 21, 20, 21, and then the last several in the chapter here. So beginning of verse 20, let's hear God's holy and foul word. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he cast out demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Well, questions of uh, who or what is behind various phenomena in our, our world have perplexed humans and brought different and wrong answers for uh, millennia. Some in the ancient world believed that eclipses were caused by sun-eating dragons. Um, others that the stars were placed there for various reasons by the gods. Or um, we could even think of the, you know, before the the germ theory of disease, which is our firm understanding of how diseases work now. Before that gained traction in the late 19th century, the the miasma theory of disease uh, held sway for a very long time. That is that. Diseases just popped up spontaneously and were a result of bad air. So you had to get away from the bad air. Well, the ultimate question uh, in this in this sense is, is the cause of the universe, the cause of everything that exists. And that's also been explained historically by uh, stories of, of various gods or spirits or uh, things like that. More popularly today, the answer to... Um, what, be, what is behind all that exists is uh, absolutely nothing. Uh, there's nothing behind, no purpose or cause at all. Uh, Jean-Paul Sartre wrote that as soon as you break free from the silly idea that you are immortal, you recognize quickly that your life has no meaning at all. There's no cause, there's no meaning. Uh, even the, the well-known cartoonist Charles Schultz uh, wondered uh, how he could feel so happy at times. Uh, given that, as he wrote, uh, my life has no purpose, no direction, no aim, no meaning at all. Well, understanding the the cause of uh, what we see and what we know 
uh, has, has profound implications for how we think and how we, how we live. And Jesus here clashes with the scribes over the cause of his miracles. Um, the source of his power. What is the source of Jesus' mission? What he's preaching and, and especially what he's doing in, in terms of his miracles. Is it, is it God or is it Satan? Um, good or is it evil? Those are really the options in this account here before us. They couldn't be more opposite. Uh, but the answer will determine forever the relation of, of those considering these things uh, with Jesus, their relationship to Jesus and their, their fate. So uh, we're confronted again and again in the Gospels with, with similar questions. Who is Jesus? Uh, is he sent from God or is, is he somehow demonic or maybe just, just crazy? Um, like his, his family considered as we studied last week. Do his miracles demonstrate the power and the salvation of the kingdom of God, or, or are they just some trick or some myth of, of history? And our, our answers, our answers, uh, like those that Jesus challenged um, uh, in that time to these questions, will determine forever our relationship with Christ. Um, and Jesus makes clear here in this passage that he is behind everything, that he is the, in, in control of history. And so I hope we can see that both as a, a comfort and a, as a warning to us this morning. Uh, verse 22, um, we read that the, the scribes uh, now have, uh, are challenging Jesus again. These are, again, the top experts in the Old Testament, particularly in, in God's law. They, they gave what were received as authoritative opinions uh, in that society. Uh, and they're saying, he, Jesus, is possessed by Beelzebul. Uh, last week we again looked at Jesus' own family, misunderstanding him, thinking that he's, he's gone crazy and the things he's doing and saying. Um, and the scribes here, interestingly, whatever, whatever the scribes think generally about Jesus' teaching and his, his ministry, um, they're not denying the reality of his, ministry, his miracles here. Right? They're, they're implicitly acknowledging that Jesus is doing things they can't explain. Uh, but they will not acknowledge that, that this is of God, that it's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, and so he's accused of doing these things by Beelzebul. That's a variation of the, the word Beelzebub that we also read in the Bible, uh, in, the Old, in the Old Testament. It comes from uh, Baal-Zebub, the, the god Baal uh, of some of the, the Canaanites, the Syrian god um, uh, but Beelzebub or Beelzebul had become a, a sort of derogatory term uh, in Israel as well, um, possibly meaning something like uh, Lord of the Flies or Lord of the Dung Heap, um, scholars suggest. But whatever it meant exactly, it was, it was used for the idea of either a, a, an arch god, an arch false god, or, or a sort of the arch demon uh, over all of the demons. And... Um, so it, it seems clear they're speaking of Satan, and Jesus in verse 26 uh, refers to Satan um, to, to make clear that this is, this is who they're talking about. And so their accusation is that Jesus' ministry, particularly his miracles, are by the power of Satan himself. Um, that Jesus is, is demonic and evil uh, in, in what he's doing. And Jesus responds with, with three quick illustrations here. Um, 
beginning in verse 24. He, he says a, a kingdom fighting against itself, a, a nation at civil war, right, is, is compromised. It makes it weak and ineffective. Same thing with a family. A family that's fighting itself is, is weak and ineffective. Um, think, of a, you know, think of a football team. Imagine in the middle of the game. You know, a team turns against itself. You've got uh, five fighting against the other six. Well, the other, you know, the other team of 11 will easily defeat them if they're fighting against themselves. And then verse 27, uh, the, the other illustration. No one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man. Then he'll plunder his house. So, uh, you know, a, a robber, a thief doesn't expect to show up and get help from the homeowner uh, when he comes to rob your house. Right? He has to come at a time when the homeowner's not home, or he has to subdue him in some way, right? tie him up, um, beat him up, or something like that. Okay? And, and Jesus' point is in verse 26. If Satan has risen up against himself, if, if Jesus is working in the power of Satan, um, if he's working against himself, he's, he's divided. He cannot stand, but he's, he's finished. Right? If, if Jesus' miracles, particularly casting out demons, are somehow an evidence of Jesus working in the power of Satan, then he's, he's working against his own, his own cause. Right? The fact that in, in, in fact, Jesus' miracles that, that include casting out and rebuking and terrifying demons uh, shows that Jesus is not working in the power of Satan. Um, he's, he's diametrically opposed to him. He's, he's his enemy. Right? He's working against the kingdom of Satan. Um, he's, he's pointing out the illogic of, of the scribes. As the scribes are, are just sort of clawing for some explanation of, of the, the, the miracles that they've seen. that doesn't involve them um, submitting to the idea of Jesus having, having the authority of God himself. Um, uh, he pictures, Jesus pictures Satan here as the ruler of a house. Um, he has real, uh, reflects the fact that Jesus, Satan has real power, has real influence uh, in this world. He's, he's the strong man. Not that he's uh, the rightful owner of the house um, in a sense, um, but he has real power and influence in a way. Jesus, though, is, is pictured here as the stronger man. Right, a stronger man who comes and binds up this this house squatter um, and plunders his house. Jesus is is acting not on behalf of Satan but against him in the power of the Holy Spirit um, to to afford his purposes. Um, we we uh, of course would generally think of a robber of a house as the bad guy, right, and the homeowner as the innocent good guy. Um, that that you know we, we can't make every uh, every connection in this analogy. Satan's not pictured here as an innocent homeowner, but as an oppressor, right? He's a he's a tyrant, um, holding millions of people captive to his lies. And so Jesus comes in the sense of a stronger man as a, as a liberator, as a rescuer um, of the world. Now God has has of course always had uh, the, the sense there is not that. The entire world is in darkness until Jesus came. God has always had um, his people, right? people who belong to him and not to Satan, people who are not under Satan's lies. Uh, but, but if you picture the globe, you know, picture the earth, maybe you have a globe at home that, that spins around, and, and picture the tiny little speck that is Israel, that's, that's Palestine there. Um, that's, that's where the gospel 
held sway. That's where people knew the true God and, and had freedom from Satan and his lies. And, and, and the rest of the globe, the rest of the entire globe was, was in darkness, was under, in, in some sense, under the rule and the influence of Satan and his lies. But God had always spoken to Israel of a time when his truth, when his light, right, would, would rescue, would spread around the whole world. Uh, to all nations, that, that Satan's work, Satan's dominion, in a sense, would be, would be driven back, would be, begin to be limited uh, by God. Um, just one instance of this in the Old Testament uh, from Isaiah 49. Uh, Isaiah 49, beginning verse 24, says, uh, Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? There's, there's similar imagery there. Um, to what Jesus is saying here in, in Mark chapter 3. There's a, a strong person, a tyrant, who has control over other people. Uh, can they be rescued? Thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty will be taken, and the prey of the tyrant will be rescued. And God is speaking of a time in the future where he'll come and tear those people away from, from the tyrant. He says, I will contend with those who contend with you. I will save your children. And all flesh will know that I am the Lord your Savior your Redeemer, the Mighty One of, of Israel. So the, the coming of Jesus was really the uh, key uh, beginning of that. That was demonstrated early in, in Jesus' miracles, particularly his, his casting out the demons, that he was beginning to, to limit and drive back that, that uh, power and influence that Satan had over the world. But especially this was accomplished in Jesus' finished work on the cross. What is, what is Satan's particular uh, power um, over um, people? It's, it's, it's as accuser, right? Satan is accuser. He accuses of, of sin and condemns, right? But um, Jesus utterly deflated Satan's accusations against God's people once for all. He took the punishment for sin in himself and then rose from the dead and conquered death, took away the sting of death, and then certainly in sending his Holy Spirit. All of these things were a binding of the strong man, in a sense, right? A binding of Satan and a limiting of his power in the world. Uh, this, is, this is also pictured dramatically in, in uh, Revelations, uh, the book of Revelations imagery of, of the present rule of Jesus. Uh, so Revelation 12, you, you could turn there if you want, Revelation 12 and 20. We'll look at it briefly. Revelation 12, beginning in verse 9, it says, the great dragon was hurled down. That ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth, and his angels with him. And then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation, the power, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before God day and night, has been hurled down. Okay? Um, then Revelation 20 as well. Revelation 20 begins, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. And he sees the dragon. Here's the dragon again. That ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. Okay. Now what, what, are these, what are these things pictured in Revelation? Uh, not something that's going to happen in the future, uh, but, but the fact that Satan is bound now. 
right? As Jesus says in this in his parable here, he came and bound Satan. It's not something he does in the future. It's uh, especially when he when he poured out the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. You see the the, the limiting, the driving back of the influence and the power of Satan uh, in this world. These are descriptions symbolic of, of Satan's power being limited and his his grip on humanity, his his status of as a sort of prince of the earth diminishing. All right, and the light of the gospel now exists around the whole world, where previously it was it was all darkness. Right. It's interesting that, that uh, though that both of those Revelation passages uh, end with something of a warning. I, I didn't read those verses, but Revelation 12 ends with, He is filled with fury because he now knows his time is short. Uh, and then Revelation 20 speaks of him um, uh, going on a rampage for a short time uh, again. Um, and in other words, it's it's... Not that Satan is totally impotent, right? Um, his his being bound and limited does not mean he's defeated yet. He's not impotent. He's still very dangerous and powerful, uh, angry, uh, opposed to God. A, a, a professor in seminary, um, Dr. Scipione, who, who would describe it this way, says that Satan's like a lion. He's been... In the coming of Christ, tied to a long chain, and his teeth are taken out, but he'll still gum you to death if you get too close. Okay, so um, it's not that Satan doesn't still have influence and power uh, in the world. But think of the evidence uh, for what Jesus is saying: that that the strong man has been bound, right, chained uh, for a thousand years, for a very long time. Um, again, the world used to lay in, in darkness, right, almost the entire globe. Uh, did not have the gospel. Uh, but since Pentecost, right, the gospel has spread to nations, to empires, to kings. Millions of people have come into the kingdom of Christ, out of the kingdom of Satan. Right? The, the gates of hell have been dented and smashed and driven back uh, over and over in, in, in uh, places all around the world. These are all evidences that Jesus is in control. Right, that Jesus is in control. We need that reminder uh, as well as we wait for Jesus' return. We wait for him to come and, and set things right again and renew this world. Our, our world often seems so out of control. Uh, right? We still see evil uh, everywhere. Jesus is in control. Uh, we, every generation, I think, has, has reason. It thinks to look around and think, well, everything's getting worse now, right? Things used to be better. Things are getting worse. I think most generations have that temptation to see the world that way. Um, Satan's lies and injustice and so on are, are winning. Uh, but the truth is that Jesus is in control. Uh, he is winning and he will win. Um, the strength and influence of the church or of the world, right, go, go up and down. Right in, in various times and places in various ways uh, in God's purposes, but Satan's power and influence uh, is entirely limited uh, by the will of King Jesus. Okay? And that's a re- reminder that we need as well. And, and secondly, on your outline, I made it a separate point on the outline. It's really a point of application of, of what uh, we've been talking about already, but just briefly want to expand on this idea of Jesus plundering Satan's house. Jesus is, is taking the furniture out of Satan's house, if you will. Um, he's, he's drawing people to himself, right, out of darkness, who were under Satan's um, 
lies and, and power previously. And encouragement, I think, for, for you is not to be so consumed or distracted by uh, things that are happening around us, uh, sad or disappointing things or what's happening in schools or American politics or, or, or various things, and to miss how this is still true, that, that Jesus is plundering Satan's house. Um, reflect on and rejoice on what God is doing in and through the church. Um, you know, learn what God is doing in Asia and Africa and the church. And incredible things that, that we're not seeing maybe here in, in the West now in the same way. Um, or among Muslims in the Middle East. And just uh, learn and celebrate how God is devastating the kingdom of Satan um, in various places. And understand this as well, that Jesus is plundering Satan's house through you, through his people. Um, God doesn't just you know, magically zap people with the gospel while they're sleeping and they wake up, wake up converted. right? It's, it's God's pleasure to, uh, to call people to himself through his word as it's lived and shared through his people, uh, through you, through his people around the world. Um, the gospel is the power of God for salvation, as Paul says. As, as you live it and share it, God uses that to plunder the kingdom of Satan. So have that hope. Um, uh, Luke chapter 10, Jesus sent out the, the 72 uh, disciples, um, people, you know, close followers, not, not just the 12, but he sent out 72 to proclaim the gospel and to have a taste of the power that God would work through the gospel. And they came back, Luke chapter 10, and reported, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Uh, and Jesus responds with, again, some more similar imagery about Satan being bound or cast down. He says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In other words, Jesus is saying, this, this, is a, this is an example to you. The disciples got to witness, got to taste uh, Satan being bound, losing his grip um, and influence in the world as, as the gospel was, was proclaimed. Okay? And we should be emboldened in our witness by the knowledge that Satan is bound, that Jesus is in control. Uh, and he's asserting that control more and more in the world. Well, Jesus turns then to his, his ultimate application, uh, looking at number three on your outline there, uh, in verse 28. He says, Truly I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. So Jesus speaks of a sin that, has, that never has forgiveness, he says. This is a, a, a difficult passage here. The sin that he calls a, an eternal sin. He calls it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Um, this has traditionally been referred to as, as the unforgivable sin. Right? A sin that never has forgiveness. And many people have worried about exactly what this is. Right, whether maybe they have committed it, right? Is there some phraseology that you can use, and then you can never be forgiven? Um, one pastor gives this example from his ministry. A young woman came into my office, extremely distressed over the issue of the unforgivable sin. She told me how one day, when she was a young teenager, she got so angry at her mother, who was a Christian, that she locked herself in her room used every swear word and oath and all the foul language she knew against the Holy Spirit. 
That day was seared into her conscience and came back to haunt her again and again. She wanted to know if she had committed the unforgivable sin. That's a a question that people have, and and he he goes on to to say uh, it, it was not merely an academic question. You know, what could be more terrifying than to believe you're beyond forgiveness and bound for eternal mis- misery with no escape? I mean, this is, this is what Jesus is truly saying, whatever, whatever he means by it. So what, what does Jesus mean here? Well, note first what Jesus says in verse 28. He first says, truly I say to you, that, that's just a strong affirmation. He's actually saying amen there in the Greek. Um, of what he's saying. He says, All sins shall be forgiven of the sons of men, whatever blasphemies they utter. Okay, now, when, when, when are your sins forgiven? When are you justified? It's, it's when you repent, right? And turn to Jesus for forgiveness. Right? And he forgives. And, and Jesus says, There is no sin repented of that's excluded. Right? There's nothing that's excluded from that, that statement. Jesus says clearly, even blasphemy, even, even the most horrible things that you could possibly think and say against God can be forgiven. You know, the idea of someone wanting to be forgiven, coming to God for forgiveness, and, and, and God saying, no, I won't, I won't forgive you, is totally unknown to Scripture. Right? It, it won't happen. In other words, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've said or thought, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved, as, as Paul says. And so whatever Jesus means here, um, you know, worrying about whether you've committed uh, the, the unforgivable sin is, is good evidence that you have not. Right? Someone who has committed the unforgivable sin or is in this position that Jesus is talking about would not worry about that. Would not would not care about that, right? Any any sin repented of is is forgiveness, forgiven. So Jesus assures of that first. But secondly, um, what is he talking about in verse twenty nine? He's he's speaking about something specific in this context, right? Sometimes I think this is interpreted too generally to say, well, someone who's you know just unrepentant until they die. Um, this is what Jesus is referring to. And, and that's true. Someone who's unrepentant until death, um, it, you know, it, it has become too late, right? But uh, Jesus is speaking to something very specific here in this, is this context. What's, what's he referring to? He's still, he, he's still responding to the scribes right, and their accusation against Jesus. The, the scribes are attributing to Satan the work of the Holy Spirit. Right, the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, the scribes were saying, was the work of Satan. And this is different than someone just responding to Jesus, you know, uh, questioning what he's saying or questioning what's going on in, in what he's doing or uh, wondering about it or, or just not believing what he's saying. Uh, there, there's a significant progression here in, in terms of the scribes calling what Jesus is doing evil, uh, the, the work of Satan. Uh, calling the saving power of the Holy Spirit through Jesus uh, an evidence of the kingdom of evil. Uh, and notice also, I think, that Jesus does not say, uh, he, he certainly doesn't say explicitly that the scribes have committed this sin. Uh, he doesn't say this is the position that they're in, 
I think he's saying they're in danger of this, that this kind of thing is possible, that maybe they're on, they're on the cliff, they're on the edge uh, of being in this position. But what does Jesus mean exactly? It's, it, it, they're, they're, it's a difficult question and it's debated, but what I think Jesus is referring to is that it is the work of the Holy Spirit being vehemently and decisively uh, denied and, and rejected, uh, even called evil, uh, to the point that the Holy Spirit withdraws the, the, the very possibility of grace. Right? Because we know that, that any sin, right, can, can, you can turn away from any sin in true repentance and be forgiven. Right? It's not a specific type of sin that can't be forgiven. Um, you think of, of Paul, who was Saul, right, and killing and imprisoning Christians and fighting against Christ in, in that way, and yet brought to repentance by, by Christ uh, and, and forgiven and used powerfully by God. Or the Roman centurion, right, convinced of Jesus being evil and to the point of uh, assisting in, in murdering him, and yet he comes to the conviction that surely this is the Son of God. And we trust he had forgiveness if that was a, a true confession. But what do the scriptures teach is necessary for someone even to repent? Well, the Holy Spirit working on your heart. Right? No one will repent without the Holy Spirit's initiative, the Holy Spirit changing your heart, giving you a new heart, giving you the grace of repentance. And so is it not entirely possible for the Holy Spirit to remove from someone the very possibility of repenting, of ever coming to repentance from someone who has, has so hardened himself or herself against the Holy Spirit that he removes the possibility of ever coming to the grace of repentance. I think that's what Jesus is warning about. Uh, John Piper writes in connection with this passage that many professing Christians today have such a sentimental view of God's justice, they never feel terror and horror at the thought of being utterly forsaken by God because of their persistence in sin. They have the naive notion that God's patience has no end and that they can always turn, return from any length and depth of sin, forgetting that there is a point of resistance which belittles the Holy Spirit so grievously that he may withdraw forever his convicting power leaving them unable to repent and, and be forgiven. Of course, that would only be true of someone who has, has not yet truly received the, the grace of God uh, in, in conversion. I think this is basically what Jesus is warning about. I, I think it's, it's certainly impossible for us to identify um, you know, when this kind of sin has been committed or, or who is in this position, that's, that's utterly impossible for us. This is only something that's known to God. G Jesus is not uh, describing this so that we would somehow identify when it had been done, but so that each of us would be warned about opposing the Holy Spirit in this kind of, in this kind of way. Uh, but I do think it's, we can certainly identify more extreme or hardened examples of people calling what is good, evil, as examples of maybe uh, those who are in, in danger of, of what Jesus warns of here. Um, I think of uh, almost five years ago, early on Sunday morning, really in, in the middle of the night, a man entered a nightclub in Orlando and shot 102 people. 
and 49 of them died. It was the the, the deadliest mass shooting in U.S. history um, to that point until the, the Las Vegas shooting the next year. Um, that was less than two miles from our church in Orlando. And some of us went uh, that next week to a, a prayer vigil, a prayer vigil um, that was two blocks from our church um, at a, a large park. There were tens of thousands of people there um, to to mourn and, and to pray um, uh, over what had happened. And there were there were speakers, various leaders from Orange County and, and from the state of Florida who, who addressed the crowd uh, briefly. And because most of the victims were homosexuals, um, oppression of sexual minorities was a prominent topic um, for the speakers. Um, and we, we listened to one speaker, I think it was the mayor of Orange County, uh, say that, uh, quote, traditional religious teachings were to blame for this mass shooting, were in, in large part to blame. In other words, uh, the truth of Jesus' word given graciously for his people, um, for his creatures, were the evil source of this horrific act. It was Jesus' fault, according to the mayor of Orange County. Well, Jesus is warning, um, again, here not that there's a sin, a particular sin that can't be repented of, uh, but there is some kind of depth or intensity of sin against the Holy Spirit, calling what is good evil, that, that threatens to remove the possibility of, of his grace of repentance from you um, decisively. Uh, just in, in reflecting further on current events, um, I, I thought perhaps it's legitimate to extend the implication of Jesus' warning here to what is sort of the, the, the mirror phenomenon, um, calling evil good. Right? Celebrating what is, what is evil or satanic as, as good. Um, again, there's a sense in which we all call what is wrong good every time we sin um, in, in that moment. So we certainly need to recognize that. But there are also, I think, stark extreme examples of, of celebrating and reveling in the work of Satan that, that stand out as, as examples of what Jesus warns here. So just an example, in the last couple of weeks in the news, there's this young American singer, he calls himself Will Nass X. He was vaulted to massive fame last year with a, a particular song that was massively popular with children, um, despite the content. Uh, and so he's, he's just produced a new song in the last month and a music video along with it. The music video has been viewed, I think, almost 140 million times on YouTube in just a month. Um, but the, the video, um, not, not to go into much detail, but it pictures him um, being seduced by Satan and going down to hell and having relations with Satan and um, eventually breaks his neck and takes his crown of horns and takes Satan's throne. And this is what's, that's, that's what the video is. Um, and also until last week when Nike got an injunction in federal court against him, he was selling uh, Satan shoes. Have you seen those in the news? They're black and red and had satanic symbols on them. Um, and they, they sold out in like a day before Nike got an injunction against him. But I think, you know, there's an extreme example. Jesus certainly, certainly his words would warn him, would warn the scribes, um, would warn anyone that rejecting the work of Jesus, siding with evil, 
is extremely dangerous, is, is eternally dangerous. Uh, it's not a game, it's not an academic question, it's not something to play with in music videos or not just a religious matter, but Satan is bound, right? Satan will lose. Um, and, and though, again, I think this is a fairly narrow warning about, about particularly wicked and hardened um, stance against God, um, yet it's also a reminder to all of us that if you're not with Jesus, if you've not repented of your sin and believed in his name, then you side with Satan. And that's certainly clear in the rest of the scriptures. Even if you're the nice little lady next door, right? You, you're kind to animals, you pay your taxes, you volunteer, and so on. Um, you don't fit this warning particularly. Maybe you don't even believe in Satan. And yet Jesus says you're a sinner, created by God but fleeing from God and from his call to repentance, from his uh, offer of grace. And it's clear there's no hope apart from Christ. I all have fallen short of the glory of God. And so receive Jesus. Receive Jesus as the, the plunder of this world, the rescuer of this world. Uh, he stands ready to forgive whatever sins you have. Um, and again, as you see seemingly hopeless uh, evil and, and suffering and injustice in the world, this world, know that Jesus alone is in control. Let's, let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, these reminders this morning that uh, the Lord Jesus is king and is in control. We uh, confess, as we often have, that we, we don't understand uh, why and for what purposes you allow um, evil and suffering in, in various ways still, Lord, but we know that it has a, a large part to do with your patience and your grace and still calling more and more people to yourself. And uh, we thank you that we can trust the, uh, the Lordship of Christ and his sovereignty, his sovereign plan uh, in this world uh, as one who became one of us and suffered with us and suffered for us. Pray that you would encourage us today and through this week uh, in the knowledge that the Lord Jesus uh, reigns, uh, that he is in control. And we pray this in, in his name. Amen.